Hello, everybody. I can kind of see you. And hello to everybody in the Overflow venue. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, so as we transition out of this quite deeply personal space uh, during the worship time, um, I think God has spoken to you. You know, it's that if I have to put on a mask again or spray my hands when I walk into a shop again or if I have to stay at home any longer, uh, those are places where I think tonight God spoke to us and said, I'll meet you there. I'll give you the strength you need. And so I'm going to change gears a little bit as we preach because we're kind of going to start speaking about a little bit more of uh, things around how we uh, can frame a discussion that we need to have around some of the things that are happening in society globally, but also in our nation as well at this time. And so last week we started a series called The King and I, uh, which is really just about how do we deal with power and things that happen uh, from a biblical perspective. We always, as believers, we want to start in the Bible, not with what's going on in the news, if at all we can help it. The Bible's the place always to start. And so tonight's uh, topic is called Power Balance. Unfortunately, I don't have any straps or notes beyond that picture. I had a senior moment. I figure I can get away with saying I had a senior moment in this crowd because no one will accuse me of ageism or something like that, but it was of myself. Um, I thought I could use the straps from this morning because we're preaching on the same series, but they were made for video, not for... Yeah, so uh, it happens when you're 50, I suppose. Okay, I, I am, by the way, so that's fine. Um, it's not funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I won't move too much because I need to stay on camera, so I'll try and make your life as easy as I can. Um, one of the things that's happening in the world globally, but particularly in our nation, is, has got to do with power. Okay, Amandla, power. Um, and how people use power, who has power, uh, who doesn't have power, who should have power. A lot of things happening around power. It could be linked to freedom. It could be linked to rights. But probably one of the fundamental things underlying a lot of the debates and things that goes on is around power. And so we want to, as we uh, thought and prayed and as God is leading us as a leadership in the church, we, we actually felt to talk about this quite a while ago, more than a month, before some of the things that happened in our nation in the last couple of weeks actually happened. Uh, because it's important for us to have a framework. So really what I'm trying to do is give you just a framework, a uh, some pillars that you can put in your thinking when you, you know, when you sit at home and you go, God, what's happening? How, how, how can people do this? And why are people in such a desperate place that they have to do this or feel that this is the only resort and this is the only option? And, and, you know, sometimes it's really just helpful to know, okay, this is where things fit. This is the structure on how to at least frame my thoughts. Because otherwise, you can quickly end up in a place of despair. You can end up in a place of, you know, is this us? Is this South Africa? Is this... Is this everything that, that we should be? You know, it, it's easy to end, well, not easy, but it's, it, you can quite end up in that space, and a lot of people do in that space. So we want to talk a bit about a framework, and to do this, we must understand some things about power, some things about, uh, about authority. Is that okay? So they're not the same, but they often work together. Well, when they work together, it's generally quite good. When they don't work together, <laughs> it doesn't go so well. So what is power? Power is, for just simply put, it's the strength, the ability, or the capacity to do something. Okay, it's, the, it's about the ability to get something done. Okay, um, whether that requires strength or, or force, you know, numbers or something like that, but it's about the ability to get something done. Okay, capacity also. 
authority is different from power in, in this way, in that authority is the right to command or to act. Or if you want, it's the right to exercise power. Okay, authority is the right to command or to act. And so we need to understand how these two work together. So can you have power without authority? Well, yes, you can. Uh, one of the ways we saw that playing out in our nation is when by the force of numbers, by the power of numbers, people were able to loot whole shopping malls. Uh, even when there were police there, who, by the way, the police had authority, but they weren't there in enough numbers, so therefore they didn't have the power to exercise their authority. And so the people with the, those who just had power were able to, to loot and to defy the law. That's one way of understanding the power dynamic that was at play there. And then, you know, we added a couple thousand army people and the power dynamic shifted. Then the police and together with the army then had the power and the authority, sorry, they had the authority, then they had the power to exercise it as well. When you have power without authority, ultimately it will always lead to anarchy, okay, to lawlessness and destruction. It might not happen in a week or a month, but ultimately sometimes it happens quite quickly, like in a space of three days in our nation. But when you have power without authority, it can always lead to anarchy because there's no right, there's no framework for, for it to operate in. When you have authority without power, your hands are tied. It, le it leads to nothing. If you have too much, and too, too much power and authority together, it can end up in something like a dictatorship and things like that. So when we start talking about power and authority, there's, there's a balance but when I use the word balance, I don't mean you need 50% and 50% and then, you know, like on a scale, everything's even. When we think about things like power and authority, we need to think of the word tension. Because sometimes it needs to be a bit more power, sometimes it needs to be a bit more authority. Things stand in tension. And that's the way God actually made things to work. And we'll look at some things in the Bible as we go now. Uh, I like sometimes when I talk about power and authority to talk about a traffic officer. Uh, if you pretend you're driving a nice 16-wheeler truck, just pretend, okay? And you're going down the highway at 120 k's an hour with 20 tons behind you. And this little gentleman walks out, to speak on the men, into the middle of the road. And they hold up their hand. Why would you consider stopping? Because they have authority. They have the right to command you to stop. They for sure don't have the power but they can help you comply. You have power, but if you don't stop, then you'll be in trouble because you've caused chaos, okay, by driving over the poor guy. But don't imagine that. So how has how God structured power and authority? How does it work? Now, one of the things, the key ideas that we wanted to land last week is that God is all-powerful and he is the authority in the universe. There's one God. There's one king. Everything falls under him. Every aspect of life your life, your personal life, every aspect of your personal life, but also every aspect of society and the created world. Everything we see in creation falls under God. There's one king over everything. He made us. He's the creator. And because he made the universe, not just us, he made the universe, we understand that he knows best how things should work and how things should be put together and how things like power and authority should be held in tension. Uh, there's a scripture, we're not going to read it, it's in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 where it says that all things, rulers, principalities, authorities, and powers, all things were created for Jesus and by Jesus. Authority and power 
are God's idea. Okay, this is not something the devil snuck in after the fall. Authority and power are God's idea. Which, by the way, when it means that it's God's idea, it means that when I exercise it appropriately, when I exercise it according to the way that God wants it to be exercised, I actually end up reflecting God's character. When I uh, demonstrate and I use my power to bring justice and to bring equity, then I'm, then I'm acting and demonstrating the character of God in that space because that's how God intended it to be. Romans 1 uh, from verse 18 to 20 tells us that God in the created order in nature he created it that is enough to reflect about him. Uh, in fact, the text in verse 19, uh, verse 20 says that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. God's eternal qualities, his divine power and his eternal and his divine nature are evidence in creation. So part of that means when I look at created order, like I go for a walk in nature, I go, this is beautiful, or wow, whoever made this must be powerful. It tells me something about God. But there's also something in the way that creation is ordered and that life is ordered that tells me about God. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to look at four aspects of life, of created order, that God has put in place, where he has delegated authority to these four aspects of life. Now we talk about institutions, not like the institutions where you get locked up. Okay, institutions like aspects of life. Is that okay? So don't get all hung up of I don't trust institutions and I hate institutions and I'm a what Gen Xer millennial. You know, just get over it. Institutions, aspects of life that God has created. Is that okay? Um, because what God done is because let me let me say this is the principle. Only God is the one with all power and all authority at all times, in all places and situations. Only God has all power all the time in all places and in all situations. Only God. Any other authority and power is delegated. In other words, God has said, well, you can have this power and authority because you're supposed to do this. It's always linked to a mandate or a function. And this aspect of life, this institution, you can have this aspect of power and authority so that you can do that. So there's always purpose to it in why God did it. And that in the way God made it, when it works the way God made it, is all these aspects reflect God and who he is. Because that's, God, life is about God. God is in everything and made everything. So life is reflected in that way. So only God is the only one with all the power, all authority in all times and in all places. So I might have power and authority in certain times and in certain places like when I want to discipline my daughter. That sometimes works, too. Um, but I have power and authority to do that. That's how God made it. Right? Then it's appropriate. And the older she gets, the less appropriate it is for me to exercise power and authority over her because she's growing in her own. We'll talk about that now. So we want to look at four institutions that God has made where he's delegated authority with purpose so that the world can work properly. Okay, And there's a tension between these four things, and I'll try and illustrate some of that, and we'll probably speak a lot more into it next week. The first institution, and I know you're going to not think of, your, of it in this way, that God has made that has power and authority, particularly authority, is the individual, the person. You are an institution. Welcome to the club. Okay. God has made you with power and authority. Now, 
the, ne the, the next one, and this one we're going to talk about, you, you pick this, the principles up in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Okay? So God made mankind in his image, male and female together. He created them to reflect who he is. And part of that reflection is that he gave us what's called the dominion mandate. He said, rule over creation, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. I always say it the wrong way around, so I was going to make sure, because, you know, fish flying doesn't work. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, rule over them, be fruitful and multiply. God gives mankind, male and female together, the responsibility to steward the earth, to look after it. And that's why Adam, for example, could name things. God gave him the authority to define and to name and to categorize things. That's part of man's authority. He's supposed to look after the earth, mankind's authority. He's supposed to look after the earth uh, and control it well. Now, the way that God allows authority to be vested in you, the institution, the individual institution, is he gave you a free will. He gave you choice. And what's interesting here is as in your choice, you, have a, you can decide how you want to exercise authority. You can do it just, justly and rightly to produce equity and love and good community, or you can just be evil and ugly. Mankind, uh, God so trusted us that he gave us the choice on how to exercise our authority. Now, what we must understand is our authority is real. And so real authority has real consequences. So if you make a decision, if, if you're a young child and you make a decision, there's not too many consequences with it. Well, maybe, you know, you get a, a spanking if you believe in that, but it's illegal now, so we don't do that. Um, but maybe you get your screen time taken away. It works like a bomb. Um, parenting tip. Okay, but your screen time or your devices get taken away. Four-year-old, because you have devices that when you're four these days, you see you've got to keep up with the times, people. Um, and there's a consequence to the decision. You can, as you're sitting here, older than four years old, you can make a decision, but you know, making decisions is interesting. It's like picking up one end of a stick. You know what happens when you pick up one end of the stick? The other end follows. Now, some of our decisions that we make, that other end only comes in 20 years' time. Some of the decisions we make, like if you choose not to follow God, you're picking up a stick. It has a certain consequence at the end of it. You discover when you die picked up the wrong stick too late okay and so because we have authority uh, we have real there's real power to our decisions there's real things that happen in that space okay and so we have this choice with our authority god made us that way i make choices in my life i make choices that affect people around me but we'll talk a little about that now that's the second institution okay you have authority god gave it to you and it's expressed and exercised through choice Okay, and how you do it either reflects God well or not. Second institution, because we do understand that we're not just individuals in life. Second institution that God gave authority to is the family. Okay, Genesis 1 and 2 again. He saw that the one man, Adam, it was not good for him to be alone, so he took out of Adam's side and he made two, Adam and Eve. And then the two joined together and they become... One again, it's an interesting little move there. One becomes two becomes one, okay? Because what happens, we have two autonomous, autonomous means people that can make decisions on their own, in the way I'm using it, okay? We have two autonomous people, two individuals, who decide to love one another. And basically to surrender their sovereignty, 
their own selfness to live in a relationship with somebody else where you say, I'm going to love you and I'm going to put you first and myself second most days. Okay. Or when I'm in a good mood. No. I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to share my life with you, which means I'm going to surrender at times my power so that you can have power. And sometimes you're going to surrender your power that I can have power. I know we don't often think of marriage as a power dynamic, but it's there. Trust me. Okay. But that's the reality that happens in marriage. Why? Because marriage also reflects something of God, because it's the Trinity is three that are one. They're in perfect relationship. And so in marriage, we have two that are one, and they reflect some aspect of the character of, of who God is in that space. And so by choice, we can enter these covenant relationships where we surrender our individual institutionalism to live and to share with one another. Uh, and we learn to love and honor and submit. Now, in a family, what's the basis of authority? What's the basis of power? It's honor and service. It's not hierarchy. It's honor and service. If we look at Ephesians 5, where uh, Paul talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, it starts with submit to one another. You both yield to one another. And then wives yield to their husbands, and husbands yield to their wives by loving their wives. As Christ loved the church, how did Jesus love the church? What's the model? He honored the church and he sacrificed his life for the church. So power in marriage and then in family, because children come out of marriage normally, is based on honor and service, not on headship. Okay? And I know, um, okay, now I've said something I have to qualify. Okay? It's interesting. When we read the New Testament word head, when you read the word that someone is the head of something today, what do you, what's your cultural association with that? That they're senior, they're above. Interesting true to fact. Now, in the first century world, the word head hardly ever meant authority. Hardly ever. In, in all the writings we have from the first century time, there's maybe two places where it maybe means that. Every other place the word head is used in the first century world means source of origin, place of life. So when the husband is the head of the wife, he's the source of life for her, as she is the source of life for him, because it's mutual. Okay, so in a, in a family, it's honor and love that provide the basis for authority. This also reflects that God is a father, because God loves family. Family is God's idea. And so in a family, there's an authority, for example, to raise children in a way that's godly and that reflects how God would like life to be done. There's an authority to... That's why parents are the boss. That's why you can say as a parent, because I said so. It's because I've got authority. And the older your children get, the less well that works. Why? Because they're becoming autonomous individuals. And suddenly they need to exercise their own authority and their own choice. If you're 20, uh, okay, let me not pick a specific age. If you're older than 20, if you're 20-something, 30-something, and your parents are still the authority in your life, something's out of balance. Because as you go through what we would call the teenage years, you, a young adult, young man and a young woman, you're supposed to be picking up your power, your authority for your choice to make decisions in your life. And so by the time you're 18 or 19 and you make a choice not to do your homework, it's not mommy and daddy's fault no more. It's yours. And you must experience the consequence of it. And that transition happens over years with children. That's the joy of raising teenagers. Is that Okay. And so when, so it isn't a family, let me use my family, where I have to respect my daughter's individual rights 
And sometimes she can't, I can't have what I want, she can't have what she wants. My wife always gets what she wants because uh, I'm a good husband, okay? But she can't always have what, my, my daughter can't always have what she wants because it's not good for the family. This is, we're having a meal now together as a family. No, you cannot play games at the table. Why would you want to? Okay, but you understand? And so sometimes I sacrifice my individual rights for the family, but also in my family, I can't just, you have to do it my way, my way, my way with my daughter because she's got to rise up and become an individual, an autonomous person who knows how to exercise her choices and starts to learn what it means to pick up one end of the stick. Daddy's waiting with a hiding on the other end of the stick. No. <laughs> okay. Screen time removal. We don't spank anymore. Okay. So the, the individual and the family, there's a tension. Do you, you see this? Sometimes when I surrender my individuality for the family, and sometimes the family must respect the individual space. Like, I need space. Had an overwhelming day at school. Can I just have space? Sure. Go to your room. Take some time out. Because she likes going to her room, not because I send her there. Okay. So, so do you understand? There's a tension in the family. It's interesting also in family, before there was sin in the world, before sin entered the world, God put a limitation on family. He said a, husband, a man will leave his mother and father and be united with his wife. And so you form a new family. And so what we call the nuclear family, a father and a mother and their children, there's an authority in that. And so even though you have in-laws and you have extended families, the basic place of authority is within the nuclear family. That's why your in-laws don't tell you how to live, by the way. You have to make the decisions for yourself because that's how God made it. Now, I'm aware that there's different levels of this because there are societies where it's much more collab uh, not collaborative. Um, <laughs> I've lost the word. Anthropologists help me. Collectivist. And there are societies that are a bit more individualistic. I understand that. And that plays into the family space. But in the way God made it, that's the design. That's where the authority lies. That you leave your father and mother and you form your new family. Taking all the good things you learned and leaving the bad behind if you can. And you make yourselves a new family. And then in your new family, you choose your family values and how you're going to live. And you can take what's good from your wife's family, and you can take what's good from your husband's family, and you can put them together and form a new family. Okay, so there's authority in the family. I'm going to talk about what happens when we live in the real world, okay? We're in the fallen world. I'll get there shortly. The third institution is government. The government, like the political government, okay? That's the institution, individual, family, and government. Uh, it's interesting if you read in the book of Deuteronomy, and by the way, a lot of the framework in which we're thinking comes from a lady called Landa Cope. Uh, she's written a book called uh, God and Government. Uh, she's also done a whole lot of study where she's looked at patterns in the Old Testament. Do you have your life as you'll remember her? Well, you should. So if you have any questions, just ask the ever life as they've gone through biblical worldview. They know how to handle all this stuff. Okay. Um, but she looked at patterns in the Old Testament of how God structured society and how, what's a biblical view on society and things like that. And it's interesting, in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is reflecting on how God built the nation of Israel. Because you can read Deuteronomy very spiritually and you can read it for its laws and then you can also read it as how God took a group of refugees and slaves from Egypt and how he built a nation and how he did nation building and nation forming with them. And Moses is reflecting on this journey in Deuteronomy chapter 1 from verse 9 to 18. Moses speaks to the people of Israel and he says, 
And then remember, God said to appoint leaders and put them over fifties and hundreds and tens, and then out of that appoint judges. What's God doing there? He's creating civil order. He's creating civil society. He's creating a form of government. And he puts that in place. Now, what authority has God given government? He's given government the right to protect its people and to make decisions about... Because you see, when two families start living, working, living together, you need a boundary around the family, and then you need to decide when you have a couple thousand or a couple million families, how do you negotiate those relationships? And for that, you need government. You need civil order. You need civil structures to help make that work. And so government is God's idea. Romans chapter 13, first seven verses. I'm not going to read it, okay? But that's the chapter where, God, where Paul, for example, says that government is God's idea. And then you must submit to the governing authorities. And he says, Paul says something like this. He says, because there is no authority except that which God has established. Because authority is God's idea. It's not from the devil. And so Paul says you have to respect the government. Now, let's think about that. What was the government like in the first century? Well, it wasn't a democracy. It was, at best, a benevolent dictatorship. Caesar ruled supremely. He had the Roman Senate that was supposed to be a bit of a check and power balance. But when you control the army, the Senate kind of does what you say. So the Roman emperors had a lot of power, absolute power, actually. Okay, And even there, in that context, Paul says... You need to submit to them. Now, you need to respect the authority. You need to respect that God has given the government this mandate. God has given the government the authority to protect its people. How does the government exercise its authority? It makes laws, which are supposed to be just and ideal, to protect people, to help the families relate. So the laws are supposed to help internally in the nation and how relationships work internally in the nation. And then also how the nation relates to other nations, the government, that's the mandate that God has given the government, to establish laws to help govern relationships and to put things in place. And that's why Paul says the government has the sword, because if you break the law, they can exercise punishment or the consequences of breaking the laws. That's what God gave them. Romans 13, does that mean you always have to agree with the government? No. And that's not true, because if you look in Paul's life, he fundamentally disagreed with Caesar. When Caesar said, you may not speak about Jesus, and you may not say Jesus is king, he said, I respect you, but no. Now, what can the government do then? The government has the right to punish. So government can say, and they did, by the way, if you look at church history, if you speak about Jesus, we'll punish you. In fact, what we'll do actually is we'll kill you. And the Christian said, we respect it. That's your right to do that. So we'll speak and then you can kill us. No problem. It's just death. I'm going to get up and live forever. Okay? And many thousands of Christians died. So you don't have to agree with the government, but the government has the right to. If the government comes and says, <clears throat> you can only have gatherings of 50 people, you'd use that example. It is their right to do that because it's the right to protect the people. And we have to respect that as believers. It's the right to do that. I might not agree that it's right. And, and, and then there's a way to engage with government. By the way, not with emotions and feelings, but with facts. Okay, you persuade the government with facts. Um, but I can disagree with the government, but I still have to obey the law. And if it's a good law that protects people, then, then you comply. If it's a law that's immoral, we can go, we disagree. And in a democracy like South Africa, which is not a benevolent dictatorship like the Roman Empire... 
in fact, South Africa is a participatory democracy. So you can challenge anything the government says. And there's a system called the courts to do that. Do you know that when the government wants to change legislation, they have to ask the, the population for their opinion on it? Uh, some of you, if you members here at the church a couple of weeks ago now, maybe a month ago, you got an email from us saying the government wants to change this law. It's wrong. They, they're stepping outside their boundaries. They're stepping into church domain outside of government domain. Let's let them know we're not happy. And so please send your unhappiness to this person so that when they consider this law, they can know what the citizens think and feel about it. Because this is what's important to remember from government. People decide on what kind of government they want. Okay? People decide. The, government's de the form of government is chosen by the people. And if it's a democracy, the people choose who's in power. That's why your vote counts. Okay? So governments are appointed by people. They're chosen by people in democracies. But even in the Roman Empire, where the history, where it became dictatorships, and you can look across the world, somewhere the people chose, we're going to let this person have power. His name is Stalin. He's going to kill a couple million of us, but, you know, we choose him. They didn't know that when they chose him. Okay. But you understand, people choose governments. Fourth institution that we want to look at is, uh, you can call it religion, I'm going to talk about church. Is that okay? Because that's what we would relate to in this space. It's interesting, by the way, that God creates civil order before he creates religious order. Okay? If we look at Deuteronomy, chapter 1, the, the civil society is structured, and then later on God appoints the priesthood. Now, what's the function of the church, of the priesthood? Okay? They're there to represent God. They're there to say, this is what God says. This is who God is. And we know that from today, we know that from the Bible, how God has revealed himself to us. So when the government starts making laws that are unjust, it's the church's authority to go, excuse me, that's not right. Okay? Excuse me, that's not right. And the government can ignore them, but it's the church's role to represent God. And by the way, uh, so Old Testament, that would have been the priesthood. But New Testament, something interesting happened. Jesus says, when he speaks of the church, he says, we're a kingdom of priests. So all of us have the responsibility to represent God wherever we are by being salt and by being light in those spaces. That's the role and the place of the church. So the church is the people who represent God. Now, it's interesting. Government is chosen by the people, but the church is not chosen by the people. The church is chosen by God. The priests are chosen by God. If we look at the Old Testament, he said, I want the Levites, that family. They will be the people who are going to represent me. And Aaron's family, they are going to be the priests. God chooses them. The church and the way God wants the church to function comes from God and not from the people. It's different from government. It's a different process. And so the church's authority is to influence society by telling them this is what God says. This is who God is. This is how he would want things to be done. But remember, we have the individual, the family, government, and the church. So as a church, I have to respect the individual. Must the individual follow my religion? Must everyone be a Christian, for example? No, they have choice. I should persuade. I have a duty to, and a privilege to proclaim the gospel, to tell people that Jesus loves them and there's a way out of their sin and their brokenness. But people must still be allowed to choose. Look at what happens in countries where the religion is as powerful as the government. Look in the history of Christianity when the church and the state got mixed up. You have things like the Crusades. Not good things happen because the domains, the authorities get confused 
Okay. This is why you can't, I'll explain what I mean now, you can't legislate morality. Because the government makes laws, the church doesn't make laws. You can't say we believe adultery is wrong and there must be a law. Now, by the way, because a lot of Western law was influenced by the Reformation, Christian thoughts and Christian values, there are laws that reflect biblical principles. I think it is until about 15 or 20 years ago, and it's still this case in some nations today, where if you committed adultery, it was illegal. They work that out now because the Christian influence in civil society is diminishing. But why was that law even there? Because the church said, this is what God is saying. It's speaking to the government. And so one of the things that is happening to Christians, particularly in the Western world, is that the government is ignoring the church more and more because we've become a voice that's somewhat irrelevant because we don't understand how government works. You don't preach at the government. You persuade and convince the government with facts. Okay. Now, in the way God made the world to reflect himself well, Society needs the individual, the family, government, and church to function as God intended it to function well. They're very key. God has given some authority to the individual, but not all authority because there's family. And God has given some authority to the family, but not all authority because there's government. And government doesn't have all authority, by the way. Whenever government assumes that it has all authority, like the Roman Empire did, like communist China did and does, many other regimes through history, when government assumes, when the state assumes they have all authority, Christians will always suffer. Whenever the state exalts itself as God, Christians will always suffer. So the government does not have all the authority in the nation. And that's one of the challenges in society today. When anything needs to be solved, we go, the government must. But some things aren't in the government's domain. Sometimes it's the church must. Sometimes it's the individual must. The government can make a law that is immoral, like abortion is allowed. Now, there's reasons for why that law is there, to protect vulnerable women. We understand that. But if the church does its job well, no one will be getting abortions because everyone will know. And there'll be places for people who have crisis pregnancies to be taken care of and looked after. Okay, so you don't legislate morality. You can't just say because the government isn't making Christian laws It's not the government's job to make Christian laws. It's government's job just to make laws that govern society well. It's the church's job to influence so that society can function well. You need four. But in reality, we know that we don't live in this perfect world. There are no perfect individuals, except you, of course. There's no perfect individuals. Not even me. There's no perfect families. Not even mine. There's nothing like a perfect government. Now it gets quite easy to say amen, eh? And there's nothing like a perfect church. Amen. Because why? Because it's sinful, broken people that are trying to make it work. Now, the one option you have is to go, ah, it's never going to be perfect. Rapture, rapture. Jesus, come and save me. No, it's, it's an option. You can choose it, but remember you're picking up one end of a stick. Okay? It's an option. You can just go into despair and go, well, it's never going to be perfect, and it isn't. Or you can go, well, I understand how God intends it. Let's move in that direction. Because the more I move in the way God wants it to be, the better society is going to get. Things like health care for all, universal education, those are Christian ideas based from Christian principles that have infiltrated society, largely from the Christian Reformation, Protestant Reformation, 15, 1600s, and the world is better because there are things like that. Even the concept of human rights, which 
has gone way too far, okay, in some spaces. That's a biblical concept. Because you're made in the image of God, you've got rights. You're an individual institution. You've got dignity and respect just in that. But they can get, can get taken too far. So we don't live in this perfect world. And so sometimes, what happens when the individual gets deified, the deification of the individual? In other words, the individual is the sole and most important thing. Individual human rights is everything. I can identify who I want to be because it's me, okay, is you always end up in liberalism and in, and, and in chaos and in brokenness. My wife has a friend who lives in America. She's a nurse. And she had to change jobs because the place she was working with started doing more and more gender reassignment surgery on 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds. And she, could, she said, I can't do it. And so she can rail against the, the decision of the medical practice or she can go, I morally disagree, I'm going to find another job, which is what she chose to do in the end. Because she was salt and light and salt and light and helped, but it was so restricted because she couldn't, you can't convince anybody. You may not speak to the, the teenagers. And by the way, then what happens in America is you have your gender reassignment surgery and then people three to four years later, the trend now is they want to reconvert because you're living it in a contradiction, most people in that space. So when the individual becomes the center and has all authority, you end up with liberalism. What happens when the family, and the family's good, isn't it? But what happens when families has all authority and it's all important? You then end up with certain family values that trump everything else. And in certain nations of the world, you have practices like honor killings, where you violate the, the values or whatever of our family, so we'll kill you. We'll lock you up in the room and starve you to death. That's one of the consequences of family being everything. Okay? Family is important, but it's not all important. When government becomes all important, deifies itself, thinks it's everything, then you end up with things like nationalism and any other political ism that you can think of. We used to sing, sing in South Africa. I'm old enough to have sung this. Um, I'm going to translate it. But I'll live and die for you, South Africa. Because the state is all important. It's rubbish, sorry. You don't live and die for your country. You live and die for God. But the state became so important. And it's interesting, without knowing any of this, when I became a believer, uh, I was 15, and we used to sometimes sing that part of the national anthem. One day I was singing it, and I realized I can't sing it because I'm not living and dying for the state anymore. I'm living and dying for Jesus now. And so the state, and you get all the isms where the state is all-powerful and too powerful. What happens when the church becomes everything? Yeah, then we rule, baby. No, (laughs) okay. If you look at history, you get something called religious fundamentalism. If you look at a lot of the Middle Eastern countries with the religion of Islam, you have religious fundamentalism, and that's what it looks like when religion becomes supreme in a society. It's not just Islam. If you look at the history of Christianity, when Christianity became all-powerful in Western Europe, they sent crusades into the Middle East to recapture Jerusalem, and they killed thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And to this day, if you want to go into the Middle Eastern countries, the one objection, one of the main objections of Christianity is you did that to us. We will force you by military might and power to become a Christian. It doesn't work. So you end up in fundamentalism, even Christian fundamentalism, where you hold on to things that are just out of tension, out of balance. And so part of our art of our life in our believers is to learn to live with the tensions between the individual, the family, government, and church. Is that complicated? Yeah, sorry. And so how can I, me, you as an individual believer, how do we 
do this? Well, first of all, be aware that there's this framework. By the way, some, there's government like political government, national government, but there's also governmental structures where you work. There's government where you work. They're usually called leadership structures. Uh, on university campuses, there's governance structures. If you learn that, okay, God put them there to bless me, to create order so that we can learn together or that we can work together and function together, and you, you can learn how to appeal and to respect the structures, not just to ignore them, and then you can bring salt and light. So Christians should be in all those places and spaces. So how do we, how does this live out practically for me? Well, first of all, when we pray. When I pray the Lord's Prayer and I say, your kingdom come, what I am praying is, Jesus, let your kingdom come in my life, in my individual space. Help me to hold the authority for my life appropriately. Let your kingdom come in my family. Let your kingdom come in our nation, in our government. Let your kingdom come in our church. Let more of what you originally intended to reflect through these institutions, let that come to pass. May it be so, Jesus. And I want to pray into that just now as well. But for you in your space, maybe I can just offer the following two things. Number one, know your Bible. Know what God's revelation is. Know what God says about things like government, about family, about you, and about the church. Read the Bible for yourself. It will help you. And that's a process. You don't have to do it all by tomorrow morning, okay? Just read it over time. Grow. Let your understanding grow. And then you have to wrestle because when you have tensions, it's very easy to go, well, it's this way or this way. But sometimes when it's, well, what's the, the tension between the individual and the family? You have to be led then by what you know that God wants, number one. And number two, the Bible's also very clear, you be led by the Spirit. So the second part is, do what God tells you to do. So if you're in a workplace and the, government, the governance structure in the workplace isn't producing peace and order, you pray and you ask God, well, what do you want me to do? And you go speak to the person who is in authority who can make changes. If it's a government that's passing unjust laws, and in South Africa, let me just say that we don't have a perfect government, and is the government doing things that are wrong? Yes. And so our role as a church is to speak, and they, it's going to come. And what we must understand is the government may take some of us to jail because we would become guilty of hate speech, for example. But until that law is locked down and propagated, and it, it largely is already, we have to engage with government as believers and go, but you're infringing on my individual rights of belief in this space too. And so what's nice in South Africa, our constitution, for example, protects religious freedom. And so you can stand in those spaces. But know your Bible and be led by the Spirit of God in your individual space, in your family space, in the spaces where governance affects you, and then also in the church spaces. Because that's, all of these are there by God as a good blessing for us, to provide for us a society that works the way, that not only reflects him, but the way he created it to work. And don't give up. Don't give up and go, rapture, rapture, if I can just so encourage you. The, the rapture, by the way, just sorry, is when Jesus comes back. Is that okay? To, to be with these people, some people say to rescue the church. Depends on your view. Okay. But I'm not, that's a different sermon. Let's take up the, the individual authority that God has given us. Let's be salt and light. And let's say, let's move the world towards the way God wants it to be. Let's fight for justice. Let's help the poor. Let's build strong families. Because... 
All the research shows is that when a country or a society has strong families, the society is healthier and better. Let's, let's conform things to the image of the way that God intended them to be. Even if that for you just means I'm going to raise my kids well, that's more than enough. Or I'm going to stand for justice in this place because this is where God has told me to stand. That's where you stand. Is that okay? I don't think one of the places we stand is fighting with the government on the size of gatherings, by the way. Um, That's not our view because it's it's not religious persecution. It's religious restriction maybe, but it's done to protect the society and the country. And so we can gather like this as is as safe as possible. It's not perfect because some of you are breathing over your masks, but, um, but it's fine. We do the best we can. And then we find ways to be creative and to proclaim the gospel in every space and place that we can. Um, and suddenly we're all online, and so we can go to places outside of Pretoria that we never would if we were just stuck in gathering in one place, like this sanctuary. Is that Okay. So I'd like to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, my prayer is that your kingdom would come in my, individu- in, in my life, in the life of the individuals represented in this room. May they know, Lord, that they're loved. May they know that they're born with purpose, that they have dignity and that they're valuable and precious. And even, Lord, when they're, as was shared earlier tonight, when we're just ready to give up, that you've given us the authority, you've given us power to, even when we don't feel like it, to say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me to hold on. And thank you then that you will be there because you promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come in our families. May families be a place of love and order and and nurture as, as best as we can. Give us the power by your spirit to do that. We pray for our government, Lord, that you would, uh, the, the Psalms say, Lord, that the, the heart of the king is like water in the hands of the Lord. And then we pray you direct our leaders in the way that they should go for the good, the prosperity, and for justice in our nation. And we pray for the church, our church and all the churches, that you help us to be accurate voices for you in the nation, that we can represent you well in society, and that we can call and persuade people to come into your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So I know this wasn't like the wow, whoo, hallelujah sermon you've ever heard in your life. Even Mamiela didn't even, not even once. Not, not even. I, I thought I might get one for only God has all authority in all places and in all times and in all situations. But Because um, that's the value. Just remember that one. Okay? All other authorities delegated, only God has all authority. But it's a framework that as we look at the complexities of our life, if we want to start speaking into some of the really complex issues that we see every day in social media and the news that bombard us, this is the framework we can need to start thinking in. And how do these interact and things is something that we can explore in the months and in the years to come. Is that okay? So may the framework provide you some understanding, may it provide you some comfort. God's got this, and he's made it to work this way, and therefore it can work. It can work out in this way. Okay, Stephen, anything? You may leave. Thank you for being here tonight. Stephen says you can go. Okay, thanks for joining us. Uh, We trust we'll be able to be here next week. Uh, Legislation changes quite quickly, but we'll do our best as we go. Thank you, everybody.